0: Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Good morning, church. If uh, if you're not already there, turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. And uh, while you're there or turning there, let me ask this question. When was the last time you had to step outside of your comfort zone? Specifically for faith reasons. When was the last time you you had to step out of your comfort zone? You know, when when God calls us to step out of our so-called comfort zone, it's typically a challenge to us. And I was thinking about this. You know, perhaps a, a lot of things happen to us in our in our heads and our hearts. But I was thinking, at least three things happen to us. Something we think about, perhaps, is our frailty. We have weaknesses. So we think about our, our limitations. And so, uh, Lord, you're asking me to, to take a step out of my comfort zone, but physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, let me, let me find all the excuses why that that might not be a good idea. Our perception is our framework is weak. And so we look for reasons. Okay. I, I'm not the best speaker. I'm not good with my hands. I'm not really good with tools. I, I've never really done that before. I, I really don't know how to sing. I'm too shy. I'm really bad with social situations. I'm really bad with numbers. I'm not organized, and so on, and so on, and so on. You know, we're, we're frail humans. We do have limits and different strengths and weaknesses and things like that. We're, we're frail, but then also we're flawed. We're aware that we have our limitations, but then just to twist it a little bit more, we also know that actually we have integrity issues too. Not only am I a fragile human, but sometimes we're just like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm too damaged. I, I'm too inconsistent here. You know, I, I'm too flawed to step out of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm too flawed to simply accept the job that, ha- that, that God has me to do. But then perhaps and hopefully a third thing comes through our head and it's called faith. Our faith in Jesus is going to look at all that square in the eyes. Our, our faith in Jesus is going to challenge our frailty, our frailty, our our flaws. And really, this is the life of a, of a disciple, that over time, our, our faith continues to work with who we are. Our faith continues to work with what makes us frail and flawed. And by the grace of God, as, as we are challenged, as we are uh, invited to, to trust Jesus, and, and it's like to kind of just, hey, you know what? I can do this. By the grace of God, yeah, we, we can step out of our comfort zone. And then we realize, hey, with God's help, it actually wasn't that big of a step after all. And I'm a little bit I'm a little bit stronger now. Not as scared anymore. In the Old Testament, Moses was frail and limited. He was flawed. He wasn't a perfect guy. We know that. He didn't simply accept God's calling. We actually, as we've been tracking with this story, he's resisting it. So today we're going to explore more of that story, but we'll also see finally spoiler alert when we get to the end of this message today. We'll see that Moses will move forward in faith. He is going to trust God. And what we see here is once Moses kind of like stops resisting, we see him become one of the most faithful individuals in the whole entire Bible. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter four. God has reintroduced himself to Moses, and he's called Moses to go back to Africa, go back to Egypt, go back to Pharaoh, the superpower of the day, ask Pharaoh to let the people go. And so we find Moses, he's still unsure about this whole thing. And so he questions God. He says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, uh, the Lord did not appear to you? What if they push back? He's not a leader, nor does he have any influence. He's he's been living in the desert for about 40 years. Now, to be fair, just a couple verses before this in your Bible, in chapter three, verse 18, God already told Moses that the people are going to listen. So maybe Moses isn't listening here. Next in the conversation, God pivots and he says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? It's a staff, an ordinary stick, shepherd's stick. God will call us, brothers and sisters, to do things in his kingdom. And we'll naturally ask the the why and the how and the when types of questions. That's all normal. You know, we, we, we need to collect data. God's going to ask us to do something. We'll ask questions. I think that's fair. God will give us a vision, and then we wonder, okay, how do we even start? And sometimes God simply says, "What you got? What you got in your hand?" Quick personal example: you just have to try to put yourself in, into uh, my shoes, Jess and I's shoes. You know, we uh, back in the in July of 2016, we moved out here to Plymouth Meeting Church, Plymouth Meeting. You know, we moved two and a half hours away to be here, and we're coming in to to pastor this church. And it's like, where do we start? Well, you start with what is. Before you can go to where you want to go, before you can go towards what can be, you first have to start with what is. You know, we just, hey, here we are, Plymouth Meeting Church. Let's do it. Let's do it. We just had to start. You just start with what you've got. Maybe sometimes we we envision the ideal. We dream up this really beautiful scenario, and it's like, hey, when God has my bills paid, when God um, just puts this awesome team together, when, when God will do this and this, when God just paints this beautiful picture and sets everything up, Then, then I'll get started. And I think that actually probably has never really happened. It's, it's actually, no, we, we start with what is and we get to work. So Moses, he has a stick in his hand. God says, throw it on the ground and it becomes a snake, a serpent. And does Moses go, oh, no, he, he runs away. Humans and snakes typically don't get along. Snakes, like the cobra, they were a symbol of Egyptian power. So you're going to have to recall your memory from you know, ancient uh, civilization class. Perhaps you've seen pictures of like a, the sarcophagus. Um, you know, the, there's, a, there's a headdress. And right up here on the forehead is a little cobra that sticks out. Can you see that? Okay, the, the cobra on the forehead, a symbol of Egyptian power. Now, also in ancient times, snakes were symbols of healing. Perhaps there's a lesson with transformation and power and healing going on here. I don't know. But the staff turns into a snake, and God says, reach out and pick it up by the tail. And so Moses, he, he reaches out, he grabs that snake, and it turns back into a staff. And God says, this is so that they may believe, the Hebrews. This is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And he says, hey, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. He does so. He takes his hand out and it's all nasty. It's gross. It's diseased skin. White as snow. Something is terribly wrong here. God says, put your hand back in. He does so. He pulls it back out. His hand is restored. It's back to normal. God gives a third sign. It's not going to be demonstrated here in the wild, but you can put this in your back pocket for sure. God says if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the, the dry ground. That river water, it's going to turn into blood. It's going to turn into blood on the ground. The three signs are given. What does it all mean? A stick turns into a snake, then back into a stick. A hand is turned uh, sick, then it's restored. Water turning into blood. You're invited to think. Hey, what? What does all of this mean? Is it supposed to have deep meaning? Perhaps it means we're vulnerable to creatures like snakes. We're, we're vulnerable to illness. We're, we're vulnerable to dehydration and, and drought. You know, the Nile River was what made Egypt work. You take away the Nile River and you just get a bunch of sand and hot air. Like the Nile is the life source of, of Egypt. We are vulnerable, but God is bigger. And God is the God of transforming power. And so perhaps all three signs here, they're providing evidence. They definitely are. They they are providing evidence that God is sending Moses. Verse 10. Is Moses on board yet? No. In fact, I think there's some Hebrew comedy in the text here. God is going to tell, uh, excuse me, Moses is going to tell God that he's not a great speaker. He's tongue-tied. He's, he's a slow speaker. But what makes it funny is that Moses uses many words to get his point across. Here's a more literal translation. He says, Please, my Lord, not a man of words am I, even since yesterday, even since the day before yesterday, even since you've, even since you've been talking to your servant, but heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue am I. Okay, like that, that's a lot going on, Moses, to say you, you can't speak well. Moses, his excuse is that he's heavy of the mouth and tongue. Maybe this means that he's hesitant or slow to talk. He gets tongue-tied. Maybe it is like a stutter. We're not sure. But there's some sort of communication impediment here. And I believe the, the illustration here is like this. His his tongue is almost like a tool that is too heavy to use. Like a hammer that weighs like 50 pounds. And you, all you want to do is just put a nail in the drywall. You just, you just want to tap it in. But, like, it's a 50-pound hammer. It's too heavy to use. Or really, maybe you can relate to this one here. Um, anybody have, like, a really heavy vacuum cleaner? And... <laughs> And then all you want to do is vacuum the stairs and this heavy vacuum cleaner. Like it's just it's it's, you're holding it up and then it falls back and hits you in the head. It's just like it's too heavy to use. And the heaviness is an impediment to the job it's supposed to be doing. All right. That his tongue is too heavy. That's his excuse. Perhaps reasonable. This is why Moses should not be the guy. And maybe this is something he has struggled with his entire life. But I invite you now to to reflect on this for a moment. Let me ask a few questions. Do you have excuses that you keep using that keep you out of the game? That keep you on the sideline? Perhaps do you have lifelong struggles that prevent you from serving more? Maybe you haven't been a shepherd for 40 years like Moses, but perhaps do you think you're too rusty or too far gone to answer God's call in your life? Moses does not think he is eligible or fit to be God's co-worker. And then God responds with rhetorical questions, rhetorical questions. Uh, are usually they're used to just you're you're trying to get a point across rhetorical questions i'm just gonna hit you with a bunch of questions don't answer them now in writing i don't mind rhetorical questions they're there to get you to think and get you know yeah you're you're receiving it you're thinking about it in conversation i don't like rhetorical questions not usually now god says who gave human beings their mouths who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Let me just read that last part again. Now go, Moses. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. God is the creator of Moses' mouth. He will help him. He will teach him. He will be with him. Verse 13, Moses kicks back he says pardon your servant lord please send somebody else please send somebody else god you've made a mistake uncall this calling so i try to imagine what's going on in moses's mind too many inadequacies he's not prepared he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know how to say it. His audience might not believe him, whether it's the Hebrews or Pharaoh. Really, though, just, God, please, please, uncall this calling. Make it go away. Send somebody else. And to kind of summarize the, the sentiment here, what what uh, this is what I think, you know, this is the summary, like, Moses thinks God's idea isn't perfect. He doesn't think his plan is all that great. I think he's kind of thinking, "Hey, you know what? We can do better, Yahweh. Yahweh, you can do better than this." Like I'm just, I'm just Moses. I hang out with sheep. I'm on the far side of the wilderness. You can do better. I have a heavy tongue, God. Your idea is, it's loaded with traps. Like, it's, it's, it's just, it's not going to go well. And I would like to bridge this sentiment to our current day. I, I find this relevant for, our, for, for, for the church, you know, quote, the church. The church must remain aware of the temptation that we always know what is best. And sometimes I think perhaps we might have a, you know, dear Lord, please send somebody else type of attitude. We'll do our thing. But God, it would be great if you raised up a church that just really went after the suburbs and like you just you just restored men and women and families and kids like you just like it'd be awesome if you just raised up a church, you know, not us. We'll just do our own little thing, but send somebody else to do that. (laughs) Your idea that that Plymouth Meeting Church could be your representation here in Plymouth Meeting, like, come on, God, please. As we navigate the future, we need to be careful that we don't just go off what has worked before. Again, um, we might be thinking, you know, part in your church send somebody else. Um, We must be aware that, that faithfulness doesn't always slash usually doesn't look like the American standards of success. We must be aware that what looks frail and flawed can be and is a powerful tool in God's hands. I don't know what the church looks like in 10 years, 10 years from now, but I do know that God has a calling. God is speaking to his church. God is speaking to his American church. God is speaking to his church. God is speaking to our generation. And I want to listen. God has a mission for his church. And I don't want to assume that I or you or we know better than God. As I look at the Moses story, he's this 80-year-old shepherd He's frail. He's flawed. He knows the desert. He knows his sheep. He knows his village. He knows all of his father in law's dad jokes. You know, Jethro. I just imagine Jethro had some good jokes. I don't know. Moses has a comfort zone. He knows what's going on in his own world. He's in a bubble. He is set. Moses has a comfort zone. Egypt and Pharaoh and the Hebrews, all of the unknowns, like, that's not for him. Moses here, once again, doesn't think God's idea is all that great. Verse 14, Moses sets a record. He becomes the first person in the Bible where God's anger burns against him. God's anger was kindled. It was burning. And I believe that the Hebrew imagery behind the Hebrew language here, it's almost like Yahweh's nostrils are flaring. God is huffing here. In verse 14, gracefully reveals a solution. He says, what about your brother Aaron? Aaron is a brilliant speaker. And actually, he's on his way to meet you. And he's going to be so glad to see you. God says, You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. What's happening here? Okay, to be clear, Moses is still the primary guy. Aaron is there to help. It is not about who is best, but it, it, it is about the communication of God's message. I do not believe that Aaron is plan B. As in, I believe God always meant for Aaron to be part of this project, Aaron is not an afterthought. As one scholar put it, God was well ahead of the curve. It is Moses who needs to keep up with the program. And so we can ponder here how God interacts with and in and around humanity. God's idea was that Moses and Aaron were going to be working together. Now, as we tell stories, you know, you reveal details when necessary uh, to tell the story. As the narrative unfolds, Aaron is presented like a solution but you know in order for there to be a solution there needs to be a problem and there wouldn't have been a problem if Moses responded and waited upon God and faith and so as a thought experiment I'm wondering with some of the problems that the church at large faces today are they actually problems or are we not listening are we not actively waiting upon the Lord in faith? He has given this church everything it needs to be successful. He has given us a mission. He has given us good news to invite people into. I want to quote from my pastor friend, the Reverend Dr. Joel Kine. He says this, One way to be the church is through more money, more programs, more innovations. The other way to be the church is to stop and wait on God, actively watching and listening for God to bring life. Back in 2016, 2017, I remember thinking and praying, okay, there are people who will help PMC move forward as a church, but they don't attend here yet. And I remember talking to some of you. I was like, yeah, like when you when you when you arrived, when when you joined the church, when you got acclimated and involved and and all of that stuff. I know I've shared with you, hey, like I was praying for you like you're an answered prayer. You know, and still today we are so far, you know, we are far from being complete as a church. And I believe there's future leaders and volunteers and teachers and so on that will come into this fold We were able to affirm two of them today, but there's more out there, and and they're not here yet, and that's okay. But I trust that God is raising them up. Sure, sometimes as a church leader, I want to be flustered and sinfully demand that God provide all of the solutions, all of the resources. But the call here is in faith. I want to trust in God's anticipatory providence. Trust that He is moving, that God is raising up errands. In our story, it just hasn't perhaps unfolded yet, it's still unfolding. And so as we think about the story of Plymouth Meeting Church, which, by the way, turns 150 years next—150 years old next year. As we continue to be a part of this legacy church's story, we don't sit around in an idle faith. We don't twiddle our thumbs. But it, we have a faith that actively listens to the directives that God is communicating. So I... Drop this all in your lap. What is God saying to our church? What's God saying to our townships? So in the story, Moses is out of questions. He's out of pushback. He takes the staff and he goes. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to see a very interesting circumcision story. I hope you guys are pumped for that. It's weird. We're going to see clashing of the kingdoms, God versus Pharaoh. That begins. But for today, let's just wrap this up with with three big points. The first one is this. Know that God will use us and our ordinary resources to get things done. We have stuff. We have resources. We have gifts and skills. We have just... We are who we are. This is how God made us. And I'm I'm convinced so often with, with a little intentionality, with a little vision, you know, we can do really good, beautiful, meaningful acts of service and love in both our church and our community. Let me just highlight like the 4th of July parade, which is like, hey, what do you want to do? Let's keep it simple. Love God, love people. It's like, okay. We need candy. Okay, let's get some candy. You know, it's like sometimes a, a little intentionality. And, like, let me just tell you. I won't go back and rehash it all. But, like, this past year's Fourth of July parade, like, we got a lot of feedback. It was awesome. It was a great time. And already, like, we are setting the bar even higher for next year. And we want to do something awesome. I won't share it here. I'll just tickle your ears there. We have a great idea that is awesome for next year's parade. But anyways, we're just ordinary people. Ordinary people and ordinary things in the hands of God can become very powerful. Let's trust in God's transforming power. The Holy Spirit has given us gifts and we have ministry styles and and you know, dear ordinary person, how is God using you? Are you happy? with how God is using you right now. Next, believe. Let's bring it down to our heart. Believe this. Know it to be true. Believe that God will help us and teach us in and through our struggles. Believe that. Twice in our passage, God says he's going to be a helper. He's going to be a teacher. God will give us the words words to say. He'll be with us when we try things out. There are opportunities that that we will learn, learn from them. Our frailty, our our limits, our flaws do not have the final say. God will help you. God will teach you. God is with you along this path. It's like the trail guide. Every once in a while we we realize we, we went off the path. We're lost in the woods. Trail guide comes. He gets us, gets us back to the path. He's like, okay, follow me. Keep in step with my spirit. Our flaws, our frailty, it does not have the final say. This is the discipleship life. You do not stay as the same person when you follow Jesus Christ. He's going to help you, he's going to teach you, he's going to challenge you, he's going to discipline you, he's going to rebuke what needs to be rebuked, he's going to forgive you, he's going to love you, he's going to encourage you, he's going to empower you. Jesus is with you, your heart, mind, body, and soul. Believe that he is there for you. The moment we start to unbelieve that, the moment we start to heal back from that, we start to become an island. We start to float off. So know that God uses ordinary resources and, and makes them, Amazing. He's the God of transforming power. Believe that God is here to help us and, and teach us. And then also, three, be on the lookout for teammates. According to the Bible, God is a big fan of teamwork. Teamwork. God will raise up and direct a team to get a job done. It's not good for man to be alone. Two are better than one. Iron sharpens iron. It's good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. Let us not give up on meeting together, and so on and so on. Also, some of us have been taught to try to spend a lot of energy trying to raise the bar of our weaknesses. Now, I'm not saying totally neglect your weaknesses, but perhaps what if what if we start raising the bar of our strengths. Let's just focus on our strengths, play to our strengths, and then we let others cover our weak spots. Work together, move together, walk together as a team. And so I want to encourage you, Plymouth Meeting Church, that when God calls you to step out of your comfort zone, and when all of the excuses start to flow in your head, know that God will supernaturally use you. Know that God supernaturally uses ordinary people with ordinary issues, with ordinary resources, and he works with us. He teaches us. He helps us. And a big way that he does that is he raises up a team. He raises up a family around us and we do not move about alone. And so God has a mission. God has a church for his mission. God has you for his church. Let's pray.